All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Evolved Idiots Podcast. This is episode number 45. As always, my name is Mike Mendoza. Matthew Nathaniel. And today we have as our guest, uh, Mr. Tony Frischconnect. Uh, hey, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you know, I, I uh, we we kind of connected online, and uh, you know, you've got a pretty interesting background, and it's one of the reasons you know I wanted to bring you on and, and talk to you a little bit. And obviously, you've you've kind of had a, a very evolved career. You you've become an author. You host your own podcast now as well, as you can see there, Plant Problems right behind you. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm kind of real curious and want to get your perspective, you know, on you know, your journey through cannabis and investing in general. Um, you know, there's a lot of interest and we might even talk a, a little crypto if you're, if you're looking into that. I'm curious if <laughs> sure. you're, if you're, if you're in <laughs> sure, that, we in can that talk realm. about a lot of that. Um, but uh, just kind of starting off, like, tell me a little bit about, you know, um, what, what, were you already an investor before you got into cannabis or did you develop your investing knowledge while exploring cannabis? So when I got into cannabis, I was heavily in debt. So I was not doing any investing. Um, you know, the, the funny thing is, is when you're in debt, all you can think about is your debt. Right? <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> it's yeah. a horrible place to be. And it's, I think the, the toughest part is that that's how a majority of our society lives. And I really feel for them. Um, because if you can't get that out of the way, it's hard to live your life. It's hard to shoot for goals that are, uh, you know, way out there because you just can't even breathe. And so it, what it comes down to is I had a lot of work to do. I had to evolve, right? I had to evolve not only in business while I was growing my business, but I had to evolve, uh, you know, financially and really understand you know, money and understand investing. And I, I grew up, you know, very meager. We didn't have a lot. We, Dad was barely paying the rent most of the time. It's not like we owned a place. And we had food at the end of the day and heat and some water part of the time, right? <laughs> Sometimes we would get it shut off. It would, there was interesting stories of, you know, where my dad would, uh, if, the, if the water got shut off because he paid the water bill too late or it was a day or two late, right? Um, we would have to, we would have to sneak in the little hole and turn on the water in the morning before our showers, right? So it was a, uh, it was a, uh, it wasn't humbling. It was just that's the way my life was. Yeah. And so I didn't understand what I was in. What I what I did understand is that I didn't like it, right? So I spent a majority of my uh, teens and twenties really trying to understand how how do I succeed and how do I gain success? Those are, those are major parts in our lives and everybody yeah. is always contemplating those questions. And so through the years, I, you know, got around the right people. I put myself in the right situation and, you know, I, I put myself out there willing to fail. Uh, cannabis was one of the, the biggest ones because not only was I willing to fail, um, I was willing to put put myself in harm's way as getting you know arrested yeah. um potentially going to jail uh 
going to prison. You know, these are all <laughs> big things that had started back in the beginning. Very distinct possibilities. <laughs> exactly. And so growing up from that, that background, I, I, I was, I was really interested in entrepreneurship. So getting into entrepreneur and being an entrepreneur are two different things, right? Uh. Uh, <laughs> it's really easy to say that, but to walk the line is a different story. Yes. You know, I've started um, a couple other businesses since, uh, since cannabis, as, since I had the heydays in, in Colorado here. Um, and you, you continually question, uh, you know, am I making the right, am I heading the right direction? And a lot of what I use to, you know, my barometer of that is, okay, is this weird? Is this uncomfortable? Is this weird? Is this uncomfortable? <laughs> so as long as it's strange and not comfortable for me, I know that I'm learning and I'm, I'm heading in a direction and I just have to, you know, follow through and let the process yeah. work and be patient. And, you know, these are, these are things that I've been able to realize over the last couple of years more so than anything. Um, because I've had a chance to really understand and, and start to become self-aware of who I am and, and, and what, what drives me, right, and what's exciting for me. And so the evolution from cannabis, uh, you know, my story is for, for those of you that, that haven't heard it out there, you know, I, I started in cannabis around 2005, um, and I was in construction. Now, construction was doing very well from 2000 to 2004 in Colorado. Uh, I, I lived up in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. And I was, you know, I had started my entrepreneurship and working, uh, you know, construction and doing uh, fix and flips. My father was a carpenter. So I grew up working with my hands all the time and naturally just progressed into, I started hanging out with some guys that were in real estate and some opportunities came up. So I decided, well, let's try to, let's build a partnership with one of these real estate guys and let's see what this fix and flips about. I mean, everybody's making all this money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I didn't realize how hard it was. You know, I, I went, f I went jumped head first in and I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. I've, I've got a part-time job at the time. I'm working at Home Depot got a part-time job to just pay my, you know, some for my food and gas. Right. I actually moved into the property itself uh, so that I didn't have to pay rent. Uh, so that limited that. But I was essentially living in a three-bedroom house where I ripped out the walls out of all the, the entire house except for one room. <laughs> so, so I had one functioning room and a bathroom that was in between being fully updated to not working at the same time, right? It was kind of like this switch. So, so I was showering with no door. I had a shit, you know, all these things that you just did because, hey. That's the way it was. Yeah, you didn't have money. So, you know, you had to take what you, take what you had in front of you and make the best of it. It was like, hey, uh, you know, somebody taught me a long time ago is that, you know, in order to, you know, gain success, you have to be willing to do what others are not. Most people are not willing to uh, live in a, a construction zone. Yeah. Most people are not willing to take a shower and have to go pee outside because the toilet's not 
you know, not <laughs> functioning right now because you got to switch out and put a new one in. So I knew I was on the right path. Um, I just didn't know what path that was. So 2006, 2007 time, it takes me about six months to really get going um, in that 2000, uh, 2004 to 2005 time period. So I ended up doing the fix and flip. Um, you know, we didn't end up selling it. My partner ends up renting it out. We end up starting doing the next one next door. So I'm like, okay, I got to do this faster and I got to figure out a better way and I got to save money. So halfway through that project, is about three months into it, and I start talking to an uh, acquaintance of mine that I'd met through a group of, of friends. And he had actually uh, started a hydroponic store like a year mm. and a half, two years prior. I start having discussions with him. Uh, we talk about options. Uh, I, you know, he invites me over to his house for dinner. And, you know, essentially he's selling me the products to do this. So he's working on a sale. And, yeah. you know, we've, we, we, uh, we build a friendship in there at the same time. And I end up, you know, coming to the, coming to the realization that construction is not going to pay. And we're in a downturn right now. I don't see the real estate market doing very well. And of course, you know, a couple of years after that 2008 hit, and everybody yeah. saw everything fall. Exactly. You know, uh, you know and the credit, credit um, dropout. So anyway, I was fortunate that I had started down a new path. So what I ended up doing is, you know, f- putting together a, a great plan to really go again head first into something new so i ended up uh a friend of mine had a property in next to the uh, csu which is the college in uh, fort collins colorado and they've got college rentals that are all around the, the entire place well it was a downturn so he had had a couple properties that were left open um and you know these people that i've met along the way have just been little pieces of the puzzle that have allowed me to succeed, right? They, they, they say you can't succeed on your own. And uh, whether you have a mentor, you just have people that you have in your life that you're able to uh, access and, you know, say, you, you don't want it for free, but basically he was renting me a place out. He was going to rent me a five bedroom house out where it had a nice big basement. And I was going to pay him monthly there was going to be a no ask, no tell question. So he had <laughs> plausible deniability in case anybody came and talked to him. So, uh, you know, that was, I was very fortunate to have that. Uh, I never talked business with him about it. I just paid him rent and that was that. So it was very simple. Um, and I kept my nose clean around my, the property. But, uh, you know, I had to uh, have a significant amount of capital to go in and right. rent a place for, essentially a year and also outfitted with $10,000 worth of uh, equipment for growing that I had never, I had never grown anything in my life. So, so I'm in this basement and uh, talking to my friend, he was able to, you know, he set me up with the equipment uh, and then I paid him like as a consultant to help me kind of get this thing, get these little things started. So you're so you're your own master grower, and you've never grown before. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll stop you on the master grower part, audacious. and I'll explain why. I'm just, 
I, I, I'm a good grower. I'm not a fantastic grower. I'm not uh, the best grower that I've ever met uh, by any means, but I had a passion for it. I also had a drive that failure was not an option. Right. And, and so there's a lot of people out there in any business. Motivation is a great uh, necessity, is a great motivator to succeed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I look at it sometimes as negative motivation. It's like, hey, you know, yeah. I'm sorry. Are you able to cuss on this? Yeah. Show or you, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's either you get it done or you're fucked. Yeah. I mean, that's really what 100%. comes down to, right? It's uh, it, it was one of those points in my life where, you know, I was all in. And so, you know, and I look at life a lot of the, lot that way moving forward as I, as I do my stuff now, but I had the exposure now I was ready to go. So first six months, um, was startup and to my first harvest, my, my uh, friend had helped me get to that point. I was able to pay off all my equipment and I was back at zero. Right. So I was doing awesome. Nice. Uh, and so I had a little leeway and then, you know, he kind of parted. Well, this, the second round, I started learning about insects and I didn't really, he didn't teach me any of these, uh, you know, preventative maintenance that you have to do with plants, especially cannabis plants. Um, so for the next couple, uh, couple rounds. So for the next six months, I had had two more harvests, but they were just okay. I had a problem with spider mites and they were eating things up and I would, you know, show up and show up to my property. Um, you know, I'd stay there probably twice a week. And then I'd, I had another place that I lived in and man to sleep in a grow house is probably one of the most insane things that I ever did. <laughs> uh, the, the anxiety and stress that is involved in that is, it, it, it's mind blowing because one, you've got this humming basement because the old school ballast used Light. to hum. Yeah. And the whole vibration of the basement would be coming upstairs while you're trying to sleep. So I learned to sleep with, uh, you know, the radio on and, and you know, and several drinks usually uh, before <laughs> I passed out, right? So the anxiety that that had, and then I had to work there was okay. Once you, I just had, always had background noise on. Right. Because if, if there's dead silence, you hear everything. So if you hear, you know, uh, um, if you hear a, knock, a tap on the window, like maybe it was just a leaf that blew off the tree and hit the side of the window and you'd be <laughs> like, who's there, you know, freak you out. Um, but, you know, I talk, a lot, I, I talk about this a lot in my book and just some different scenarios that popped up that, that really made me, uh, really made, made, really put me in a place where I was very lucky that nothing actually really bad happened, um, you know, Fast forward a couple of years, I'll, I'll get to that. But I had some some big things happen in, in 2000 and at the end of 2009. But anyway, so I'm in this basement. I got all these plants. I'm got about a year under my belt, and I'm learning the ropes. And I'm teaching myself. I'm going into the grow shop and talking to them about issues and problems I have. And you know, a lot of those guys were that were working at the store. They were growers too. And of course, I talked to my friend. And he'd help me out with it again, but he was running a business and he right. was starting to really take off. His business was starting to really <laughs> starting to flourish uh, because we had had 
medical marijuana that was really starting to take hold. It, it was funny because in, in 2000 is when medical marijuana was passed that you could, uh, you could have an, a medical marijuana card and you could grow plants and it, it grew out from there, but nobody really knew the ins and outs of the whole thing because there was really no regulation behind it. Uh, and I, you guys in California yeah. know what I'm talking about. I mean, it was 96 and I mean, really until 2012, you didn't really have any regulations, right? Wild West, literally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I was, a, I was able to, uh, that year, that first year, I was all black market. Second year, I was like, I've got to figure out this medical marijuana thing because I'm tired of looking over my shoulder. What's the future too? At that point, you start you're starting to see where the where things are shifting, some laws, and you start to see the momentum starting to build. And you're like, if I'm going to have a real future in this, like long term, I've got to make this conversion at some point. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So long term, you know, was safety was first. Second was okay. Here's the future. I'm heading down this path. Um, Let's see how we put it together. So I was, you know, I saw some people that were at these doctor's office. They were putting up cards, right? So says, contact me. I'll be your caregiver. And I'm like, what's this all about? And I start checking into it. And there's maybe three, two or three cards sitting there. And there's, you know, probably 50 people a day passing this little, this little, this little area to the doctor as they go visit the doctor and get their prescription. And I'm like, that, that would work. I was like, I could create a little company. I called it highway to healing and I set out my card. And for the next year, year and a half, I accumulated about 40 patients, uh, which I thought was pretty amazing on my own. I was like, okay, I wanted to get to my, my threshold because it's like, you had you were able to have six flowering and six in veg, so I wanted to get around a hundred. I had spoken to my attorney. Well, it's still federally legal. Let's keep it under a hundred. <laughs> so, you know, I was kind of playing that middle game yeah. where it was like just in between. Uh, you know, over those hundred plants would put you in federal. If you stay below here, <laughs> you're good. Plus, you have all your basically all we had to do is post our licenses up at the door wherever our grow was at. So. I have this doorway to my basement that's got it's a piece of cardboard and it's got 40 licenses all across the front <laughs> of it, right? So I'm feeling pretty good then. I'm, 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 you know, another year goes by and I'm really starting to move on stuff and I'm delivering and growing and, you know, calling and I've got, you know, I've got burner phones. I got three different phones because <laughs> you, you don't, you know, in my pockets, I have those, uh, it worked well for the cargo pants when those yeah. were when those were the in thing, right? I could have had plenty of pockets for phones, but it, it was still it was still nerve wracking because there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of uh, the police department and the people that were enforcing laws were still not understanding what was happening with medical marijuana. And they had just been in decades and decades of the demonizing of, you know, cannabis. Yeah. And so changing those views needed regulation. So there was still a scare. Every now and then we would hear 
about a few different people that uh, would get caught up in some kind of some kind of problem, some kind of situation. So fast forward to 2000 into 2009, I've got uh, somebody that's doing uh, deliveries for me. I've got somebody that's running my grudge my veg house. So I've hired a couple people and then I've, I'm running my flower. So I've got this little ecosystem yeah. starting to churn really well. And at the end of 2009, I'm actually leaving my, I had an apartment in Denver, Colorado. Um, and I was leaving to head to harvest that day, uh, in this little town called Milliken, which is right off the highway. So, you know, the fitting, voice or the fitting name for the company was highway to healing. Everything was off the highway. I just, you know, little stops. <laughs> so, so I'm leaving my house and I get in my little Honda civic and start up the car, put my seatbelt on. I'm about to put my car in reverse. And I have this, you know, I don't, it was like an Oldsmobile fly up behind my car and park there. And I'm like, Hmm. And I hear this guy go, sir, could you please uh, turn off the car and, and step out of the car? And I'm like, who the hell is this? You know? <laughs> so I turn off the car, step out, and he's like, I'm with uh, Denver PD. And i am actually been, uh, I've been brought on by the DEA because we're doing an investigation in your house in, in Erie, Colorado is being raided right now. And I was like, oh, great, you know. So I'm freaking out. I don't know. Damn. I don't know. They they only mentioned Erie, but I, I'm only assuming that they've they're at the other the flower house too. So they're at the. I start talking with them and I say, "Hey, can I call my attorney?" They're like, "That's fine." I call him up, and he. That was the first time when I really understood that having an attorney and what they can do for you. Um, <laughs> they're super valuable when you're in trouble. <laughs> hundred percent. And, you know, I feel for a lot of those, uh, you know, we've got a lot of minorities that have just been screwed over by, by laws. And a lot of it has to do with the, they don't have financially the money to hire somebody that can speak for them and they just go along with it. And you see it so many times. And I mean, we all watch cop shows and, you know, different shows on, on, uh, smuggling and all they they're yeah. always busting these people that open their mouth way too fast way too early right yeah yeah <clears throat> so that's what I was concerned about I'm getting on the phone with my attorney and we're getting this done so we start uh, talking back and forth he says meet me down in my office because they weren't gonna arrest me and I was like this is weird I I, I don't understand this they don't have they had a uh, they had warrants to search my place but they had nothing to actually they needed that information to get stuff to try to arrest me is what I had thought. So I'm freaking out. Like I'm going to prison, yada, yada, this. And, uh, months and months and months go by. I'm talking to my federal attorney because I have to hire a federal attorney, which those guys, if you got to bring those guys on, those are like two and three times the cost of a regular attorney. (laughs) So I've got to come up with, you know, 15 K to give him to help represent me to talk to the U S uh, the U.S. Attorney in, of Colorado, right? So, the stress during this time has to be tremendous. <laughs> I mean, geez, like yeah, I, I don't think people really understand that. Um, you know, I was in a place where I was all alone. I basically had I had had one friend 
um, that was super close to me. They actually went, the DEA went and visited him, scared the fuck out of him. <laughs> um, and so he bailed away from me, right? And I started to understand how they break people down. Yeah. And basically they, they make you, they make everybody around you not want to talk to you. So then you're in this place of, I don't have anybody, you know, anymore, yeah. right? It's not just a legal battle. It's, it's like a mental and emotional warfare <laughs> they wage as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, they, 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 they increase their, their pressure and their leverage on you. And it's a scary place to be. Um, however, going through that time now, looking back at it was, I grew a lot in that period. Yeah. I, I was able to rely on myself fully and get through it without, you know, any major issues aside from, man, I can really withstand a lot yeah. before I crack. Um, I think that's why it's important to also have, you know, hear you have people like you kind of tell their story because I think so often people see someone that is successful and they think, well, that happened to them overnight or, you know, it, it just, you know, it, they, 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 the first thing they did, they were successful at. And almost never is that the case. Like it's almost a journey of failure and picking yourself back up and, and struggling and learning from all of it before you finally, you know, figure out what the key is, you know, to that success. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a, there's a lot of people that will go out and try something and fail and just be like, well, I tried it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it takes a lot more than that. I mean, it's that getting back up factor that we all hear about all the time, but truly doing it is, you know, talking about it and doing it are completely different things. And as people, you know, build themselves and understand, you start getting a confidence about you. Like, you know what? Fuck it. I did that. I, didn't happen. I'm going to go this way now. And yep. it's just if the entrepreneurial spirit is like, okay, well, let's bob and weave and we'll go over this way. And especially going up and through, you know, creating regulations around the industry. I was a part of that in Colorado and I got to see that firsthand, right? And be like, oh, okay. Now I can create, help create laws and regulations that actually yeah. help me as a business. You're literally helping shape the, shape the future, you know, in, the, in that kind of role. Um, I think yeah, it's, I think it's also important, like illustrating the fact of how you pivoted. You know, I, so often I talk to people who have done something and they identify like, this is my career. This is what I do. And I can't change. And, you know, just like you read the market, like when you were trying to flip houses and do construction, you know, you saw something and you're like, trends are about the winds are, are about to shift and I need to adapt and and revise my plan and move in this direction and, and evolve, basically. And I think too exactly. often people miss that, you know, or, or maybe it's just that they're afraid of it. Because like you said, at some point you have to jump in and fully commit as well. And I think there's a lot of fear for people, you know, with that kind of change, you know, in their life. But it's important to illustrate, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I had fear even even when I was exiting the cannabis industry, uh, when I had sold my, my ownership, um, I had a fear of, well, what am I going to do now? Right. Right? Yeah. It was, it was something that 
Um, you know, I'll go into that a little bit more, but, sure. uh, you know, back to the story yeah, to kind of fill absolutely. it out for you guys. So we were, you know, I was at a spot where at that time, you know, it was, it was pretty good timing the way you, you just described that because at that time it was like, Oh fuck. Now what am I going to do? Cause they've taken down my entire places. I'm well, come to find out they didn't know about my flower house. <laughs> They'd been wow. following me for months. Um, they, they're, they were trying to connect me with several other growers cause that's what they do. They try right. to, they try to create this massive, Oh, there's a hundred guys that are growing in their basement. They're selling it over, <laughs> you know, over state lines. Then they can jack the charges up on a conspiracy charge. Exactly. Yeah. And they, they've been doing that for, for decades now. Right. That's the big thing. And it's like, let's, Let's connect all these dots and make them look like they're this huge organization. When I didn't, I, I strictly did not do business with anybody I knew because I didn't want those connections because I don't know who the hell they're talking to yeah. and I don't want to be tied to any of that. However, you know, we were, we had created some friendships and some camaraderie through the grow shop. And every now and then we'd meet for beers or drinks or something like that. So that's where they started trying to connect us with. Right. They started trying to make a big, a big uh, issue and, and create this big story. Criminal enterprise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, but you don't really understand them. You, no matter how many movies you watch, you don't really get that that's what they're doing. Because when you look at, when you look at movies, uh, you know, that, that are all about drugs and all about, you know, these big organizations, they, they actually show them talking and working right. together and selling together, but it's not always like that. And so that was eye opening for me. So, so at that point, my, my mind was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. My attorney goes, listen, go and harvest your grow. You need that cash, right? Yeah. I'm like, absolutely, I need it. So I was able to uh, get the, the two people that were working for me uh, together. They went over and harvest because I didn't want to bring anybody with me and if anybody was following me. So I was able to, uh, you know, get this crop and harvest it and dry it and sell it um, to get me to that next step. Well, what was that next step going to be? I was fortunate that the guy that owned the grow shop was expanding. He goes, you know what? I've got, I want to expand my store footprint and I want to open one in Denver. He hired, he says, you know, I want to hire you to do the uh, construction on the project and, you know, get it up and running for me. And I'm like, okay, I need a paycheck. <laughs> so <laughs> this is perfect. <laughs> oh, and, and mind you, I had stopped paying everything. Oh, wow. Um, I had, I rented the property, the flower house. Uh, this was a pretty unique situation. I did a, a lease with option to buy. So I had had a bunch of money down. I walked away from about $42,000 and a down payment because I did not purchase the property. Uh, so that was a, that was a big hit. However, I got to wash my hands of it. So it worked out really well for me. I didn't have to be tied to this massive lease payment because I had rented this second property. It had a 2,500 square foot basement in it. You know, it was a, it was a 6,000 square foot house. And it, it was a lot of, I was, I think I was paying six grand a month for this property. 
And so I had to walk away from that. <clears throat> but not only did that, I had credit cards that were maxed out. I had um, a house payment, the property that I purchased in Erie. I had purchased it on, uh, you know, a when they were giving out loans in 2007, they were giving out uh, stated income loans, which is basically like, well, you want to get this house? How much do you make? I make 60 grand a year. All right, you're, you're in. You're approved. Let's, let's sign you up, right? So I had to stop paying payments on that. I had stopped paying, you know, I, it's, I had covered some electricity, I think, but very little. And I really had to go to zero. It was like, okay, you don't have anything. You got enough to eat and drive your car, pay your insurance. I had a rent that I was paying in Denver, so I paid that. But everything else, I just hit the pause button. And, you know, creditors don't really like that because they want to get in touch with you. Yeah. And So I did the only thing that I could do to, uh, you know, hold on to my sanity. And I just changed my phone number. I said, fuck it. I'm just changing my phone number. And... I will hit the pause button on this and come back to this when I'm in a better place. Yeah. And, and I know some people think that, oh man, I can't believe you did that. What it come down to is that credit is great if you're able to use it responsibly, but I wasn't in a place that I needed credit. Yeah. You know? And so, so I ended up <clears throat> in, living in my little apartment, not paying the mortgage, um, and nothing was running there. And I had a small amount of cash that I had saved after that last grow. And I was like, I got to step it up. So this has happened in 2009 in October when the, the raid happened. And so my, my uh, friend had hired me to help him run his, or help him do the construction on a store and get it ready to open. And I knocked it out in like three months. I got this thing it was uh, it was right off the highway, a great location, and I just started doing my management construction thing and started bringing people in, got it all up and running. He filled it with equipment, and by, I think it was March, end of February, March, we opened up, and man, it was like a, it was like a tidal wave of people coming in to buy equipment. Wow. The word was out. Yeah. 2010, people were like, I mean, we had, I would, I ended up, he ended up bringing me on to actually manage the store for him after that. So I kind of transitioned through these little, these little areas in the business there. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to rent a warehouse and I'm going to go full bore into wholesaling. I'm going to grow a shit ton. That was my plan. Right. So I've, I start making some connections, which the grocery store is great for making connections yeah. of different people. And all of a sudden I find this property through this gentleman that he, he wanted to use it. He found a landlord that was open to renting it to him and hop on this 7,500 square foot warehouse. And I'm thinking, Oh Jesus, I'm crazy right now. So I had to kind of get a, a few extra bucks. I had to borrow some money from friends and my girlfriend at the time to, to actually make it happen. But I basically gave myself a six-month run runway, which was crazy, insane. Uh, it's much it's much tougher in the uh, in the legal market yeah. than it is in the uh, unregulated in the black market or what they like to call the legacy market. I've been hearing that one a lot lately too. Yeah. So I jump in, 
while I'm running this store and I'm making all these connections and I've got the DEA sitting behind me doing whatever. I have no idea. I don't have time to think about them because I'm not failing. That's where I'm at. Shit, this is not going to happen. So, because what did I, I, I really, you know, for those listeners out there that are young and in their 20s, man, this is the best time for you to make these crazy moves. And <laughs> you, you don't have anything to lose. Yeah. You know, you really don't. If you don't have a wife, you don't have kids, you don't have a mortgage, you, you, it's the best time to try this stuff. And I, I, any, so I just looked at it as like, all I can go is up. There's not, I mean, I got, I can deal with the DEA here, but I need money for that. So I got to figure out how to make some money. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I figure out, okay, this is my plan. I'm going to grow pounds and pounds and pounds. It's selling for between 35 and 4,000 a pound right now, which is a little lower than it was in the black market, but still it's great. So but then regulation starts to come in. People start noticing. Um, we had this place on Broadway, which was one of our major strips, and they started calling it the Green Mile. And it was, it had multiple, <laughs> it had multiple dispensaries popping up to where there was like ten in one in like a mile radius, right? Wow. And and so the news was picking up on it. But we were getting people walking through the store. I mean, literally, I remember. This kid was like 18 years old and he's bringing his mom in to help fund his grow project that he's going to grow for <laughs> medical marijuana. And I blew, it blew my mind at the time. I'm like, this is his mom doing. And she spent like three grand. I it wish was she was my mom. <laughs> no doubt, right? I mean, that, yeah, I know. That's exactly what I was thinking. And so I knew that I had something and I had to capitalize on this. So just seeing stories and situations that were coming through the door and the knowledge I had. And, you know, this goes back to understanding the investor side and looking at a trend and seeing it coming. I saw it coming. Uh, so 2010 was an interesting year. We, we got, I ended up having to partner up with somebody because they had, the regulations had said you had to be vertically integrated. So I had to pay, I had to have a right. partnership created between some people that I barely knew. Um, I, we call them shotgun marriages because they were, that basically you had to jump on board or you were out of business. Yeah. Sorry, you, you, had to, you had to get, you had to sell, what was it? 70% of your product had to be sold through your store. Well, we spent all our money in the grow. How, was, how in the heck was I going to open up a store and retail and run that. That was way above me. So we connected with some people, got started there. Um, we had five business partners that we all collectively put our money together in our, in our equipment. And we were opening up at the end of 2010, our first store. Uh, our, one of our business partners actually had a heart attack and died. So that was crazy. Wow. Um, and then... 2011, things started moving really well. We were selling everything we could grow in 2011, partially in 2012. And then, of course, Recreational came on board, which, you know, was it. All of us were blown away that Recreation had passed in Colorado. We were like, wow, what's going to happen next? <laughs> They're going to decriminalize everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And <clears throat> we started helping create 
regulation with some of the lobbyists. Uh, we got involved in uh, association groups. I uh, started learning about politics there and really understanding yeah. how you can create uh, regulation for an industry. And that was really eye-opening to me as well because most, you know, there's a lot of people out there, I think, in, in the world that, that feel you know, their vote counts and they can't make a change and they can't make a difference. And I saw firsthand how it worked and I was like, no, you can actually do it. It's just most people never get to experience that, right? So I learned a hell of a lot there. And then 2013 came around. We, uh, we partnered with some other uh, local business owners, local uh, dispensary owners, and we created a, uh, one of the very first vaporizer uh, pens in Colorado. There was like two or three other people doing yeah. it. Uh, we were buying cartridges uh, from this company out of uh, Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And we were buying, we were selling these things like crazy. <laughs> uh, we were we were paying him somewhere between thirty and forty thousand dollars a month. We were paying, yeah. Him. And we got together as owners and said, "We can make this ourselves. This yeah. is stupid. Why are we paying this guy?" So we ended up end of two thousand twelve, um, creating this company uh, with some local business guys in Denver, and. They had a lab. We had an idea. Um, each of us had contacts. Some of us had contacts in China. Some of us had uh, contacts for supply. And we, we got a group of about 10 store owners together and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to create this product. It's called Open. And we're going to, we're going to take that and we're going to run process all your, uh, all your flour for you and give you a discount on the cartridges and give it to you. And we're going to give you the battery that powers it for free. And you guys just give these Go out to it. Yeah. And it just blew up wildfire. I remember when open hit. Yeah. And it was, it was crazy. And, and we had a lot of, uh, there was a lot of learning and mistakes that happened uh, in that time frame. But so one of our partners had actually broken off, and he was working in open most of the time and 100% of the time. And then me and my other business partner, we were help running the grow and, and uh, one of the other partners was help running the dispensary. So we kind of had that little cycle going and we had two different uh, areas that we were focused on. And we kind of, we played in each other's, our own sandbox. And, you know, the thing about partners is, and, and I don't want to go over, go over this quickly, you know, I don't want to glaze right over this, but we had a lot of issues through this whole thing. We had, there was a lot of push and pull. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, threats and anger and mis and trust issues. And you know, it was a struggle the entire time. Well, I was, I was going to say, let's, it's almost like when you were talking about when they first implemented the regulations and you had, were forced into these shotgun, you know, relationships and these partnerships and that happened everywhere. And it's it's interesting because what they previously would have prosecuted you for uh, as a criminal enterprise and conspiracy, now the regulations were actually forcing you into these relationships that you may not even want to be in. Yeah, it's, I it's, mean, it's destined. It's destined to have some conflict because you're not able to really choose a, the partner you would ideally want to partner with. And I think part of it was by design. You know, our 
our governor and regulators had come out and said, we are going to force this issue. We want this to happen. And, you know, 60% of you guys are going to be out of business within the next 12 to 18 right. months. And, you know, I mean, if you can imagine getting into, um, I mean, I don't know if you guys are married or not. I'm, nope. I've got a great partner. She's amazing. Um, but, you know, stepping into the dating relationships that I had in my past, you know, if I had just gotten married to, we basically had like 60 days. It was like 60 or 90 days. It was a very small, small window to make this happen. Um, you know, dating people for 60 days and going, well, I guess we're going to get married is <laughs> insane. That's insane. And most of them don't last because you don't know who they are. You don't know who right. the person is. Um, and business relationships are so much, they're so closely tied to marriage in a way. And so if you're jumping into bed with somebody that, um, you know, is potentially a, compulsive liar or a thief you sometimes don't know for those first couple months right. because you're blinded by the honeymoon period right yeah. like this person is so awesome the infatuation period yeah <laughs> i love being around them I, I i can't stand being away from them you know a couple months in and then about six months in you you know there's some things that you start catching that annoy you you're like oh so <laughs> you know but the thing I want, I want people to remember when they're, when they're going through these situations out there that this is also an evolution of yourself, right? This is a growth that you have to go through. And once I was able to step back after, you know, the exit of cannabis and in my businesses, my plant touching businesses, I'll call them, I was able to realize that everybody was strategically in the room because of the situation. And so each of us at the time had a little something that the other person didn't have. Right. And that's what's, that's what makes a great partnership. Right. Um, and and I didn't really have the time to think about that, you know, through the process. So when I was able to step back in 2015, I really got a sense of, you know what, even though that, that person was frustrating me, even though they drove me nuts or they were insane, there were some things that they were really good at. And there were some things they were really good at handling. And, and it's hard to be that, it's hard to be all things as an entrepreneur. You can do it for a little while, but you're not really great at it, right? You can only go so far. Yeah. You only have so much bandwidth, I mean. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, in a... That's my story there in a, in a nutshell. I mean, if you guys, I've got, I've got my book here from black market to the man and <laughs> 10 nice. steps to becoming a multimillionaire in the legal cannabis industry. And I talk about some of the stories in there and, and some of the stuff I went through. Um, but I, I also get the I book people. Something you'll see, you'll hear all the clandestine stories <laughs> by the yeah, book. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I, I talk about this stuff and I wanted to make something simple because there still is opportunity out there for, uh, for new entrepreneurs to get into this. But the window is closing. I mean, we're seeing some major players in trying to take over, you know, glo they're the U.S. market. I mean, there's some big guys right now. 
And so some of the people out there are like, well, how do I get into this? How do I do it? Well, that's what, that's why I wrote the book because there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that we have in us that sometimes just need to be opened up and be like, oh, well, I'm marketing. Why can't I do this for cannabis? I could use my marketing skills for this. Right. You don't have to be a grower. Um, I naturally went into that, I think, because I work with my hands. So it made it really easy to transition into something like that. And, and I understood it. But there's a lot of people out there that, that are like, well, how do I get into, you know, if I want to run a dispensary? Well, maybe that's not your best place to be. Maybe, you know, maybe it's creating a product with somebody else that, you know, has the, the actual raw material to do so. Yeah. And, and finding those people along the way. And some people are like, well, what do I do? It's like, well, you got to start. I mean, really, you find these people along the way. They, you know, Matt was saying, you know, people think it just happens. Well, it happens because you're putting yourself in the position to run into those people in life and mm-hmm. you're willing to find those people because you're in it. So it's like your eyes are open to opportunities that come along and then, you know, we've worked into investing. And so a lot of my investing was in my own business prior, right? And once I was able to understand and then actually see, receive a, a, you know, some success and some payment of that, I was like, oh, okay. This was a long game. I mean, I played it for 10 years. Um, and there's some people that are even more successful than me out there, but there's also a lot of people that are not involved at all anymore and lost yeah. everything. Yeah. A lot of people. Now, and we, how, did, how did you come up with a mentality early on? Like, uh, you know, when you're uncomfortable, you know, you're on the right path. You know what I'm saying? Like you said that early on in the conversation, I thought it was fascinating because it's like you have to, it's a learned mentality to be like, all right, I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to keep going. I'm on the right path. If I'm too comfortable, then I know I'm not on the right path at all. You know, do you think that ties or kind of stems from, you know, your experiences as a, as a child where you kind of, you know, had a, not a plethora of everything, maybe? I think a lot of it comes from self-education. You know, I, I spend significant amount of time, not only listening to, um, you know, interesting uh, perspectives from podcasts, but also reading and, and really, you know, from successful people that have written books and understand that there's a process in place. And, you know, there's, there's different ways to go about it. And everybody may have, they may have different words for it or different language, but, you know, I think the, the, the biggest thing that I understood is getting that uncomfortability. When you talk to these successful people, they're like, yeah, it feels weird, right? You don't (laughs) like it. You know, it's because you're growing and that growth, it's painful. Um, sometimes more than others, right? Uh, even creating my own podcast, I got in this uncomfortability zone. I'm sure you guys probably felt it too. Like you guys are 45 episodes in now. It's like, okay, we got, we got some momentum going, you know, you talk to people and they're like, Oh yeah, we've been, we've been listening to you. You sound like you guys are getting better, you know? And it's this evolution of, of how, of how you guys are putting yourselves out there and you're learning. And I think so many people around us forget that 
You know, as human beings, we can still learn a, a lot. We, we come out of school and people think, oh, I'm done. I got my career. Let's, let's, and no, I mean, I, she's the last five years I've learned uh, more than, than I ever did through uh, even in through cannabis um, and through high school. I never went to college. I mean, those of you out there that feel that college is a necess- necessary, it's not. Um, I honestly don't think this would have changed had I dropped out of high school. Um, I just did it because everybody told me that that's right. what I needed to do, yeah. right? So, you know, for for those of you contemplating, well, what do I do want to do with my life? I mean, the internet has changed everything, especially investing, and it's even it's evolving even quicker now. With you know, we, you had brought up cryptocurrency, uh, smart contracts. You know, I've just started dipping my toe into this because currency is such a uh, it's such a global deal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's insane, but I'm learning that right now, and I'm just kind of taking it in, like it's you know, again, like the saying "drinking from a fire hose." There's so much information now, <laughs> but with the internet, we can access that. And for entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs, it is such a vast um, area of knowledge. You can you can get anything you want going across YouTube. You can get you can get any audio book you want. You can get any book you want. You can, I mean, from from the farthest farthest uh, you know area, anybody in the world can order Amazon and send it to them like that. Yeah. So so for access and opportunity right now in our world, I think it's incredible. It's it's really. I think I'm I'm very fortunate that I'm kind of in that time frame where we saw just computers starting. Like I, I had a, yeah. I I was doing the Oregon Trail in fourth grade, right? Yeah. Me too. Yep. Yep. And, and and now kids are going through school and they have a laptop. And My I gosh. honestly, I don't know what they're learning in school because they could learn more from you know watching the different YouTube deals that are going happening if, in whatever subject. If they ri- watch the right YouTube and course, and yep. if they have the discipline to actually do it, it's like <laughs> I talked to somebody yesterday and they were like. You know, my uh, for the last year, my daughter, she's a straight A student, but she gets up in the morning, she lifts up her, her laptop, she logs into all her classes, and about 20 minutes later, she shuts everything, and that's it for the day. <laughs> that's crazy. It yeah. is crazy. So, yeah, I think it comes back down to, to the discipline as, as well. Um, you know, you've, you've obviously, you've put out a lot of products in the, in the industry, you know, kind of getting back to, to cannabis for just a second. And I was just curious, you know, from your perspective, is there any, anything that's exciting, uh, product development wise, uh, that, that you've, that you're interested in, or you're keeping an eye on, or you think is interesting? Yeah. I mean, I keep an eye on the MSOs. Uh, because they're they're leading the way. I mean, there's there's some there's there's also I also keep an eye on the uh, the small margin market, which is according to BD Analytics, is 1.8 uh, percent of the entire cannabis market is beverages. Yeah, I I, I think beverages are going to change our world. I do think um, that's next. Yeah, yeah, and I think that there's a there's a couple outfits out of California that are that are starting to get some, build some steam and create some movement. Uh, but I've had, I've had this conversation with several people now, 
but the reality is, is I, so I don't drink anymore. I, I quit drinking a few years ago. Um, but never say never. I just, it was, it was a dip time in my life. And so I'm looking at the fact of socially when I go out to do things with people and if I'm going networking or whatever, you know, having something in your hand is, is definitely, uh, you know, just a comfortability thing yeah. between people. Right. And so, so I, I joined the network meetings and, and, and do that. But I think when we will, I think we'll see a true switch that hits. I mean, I know I saw it in uh, vaporizers versus joints. I really saw that switch where the uptake of vaporizers was just crushing the market yeah. over vapor, over joints uh, because there's, there's a different um, stigma that you get with a joint that you don't get with a vaporizer. And, and I think we're going to see that in the cannabis drink market that, you know, Matt, you and I'll be, we'll meet up and, you know, you'll have your, your Budweiser and I'll have my, my cannabis drink and you won't be able to tell the difference because it's just going to be another drink. Absolutely. So I'm, you know, and I know, and the consistency is going to be so dialed that I know if I have this one microdosed cocktail, <laughs> I know how I'm going to feel. And I also know how I'm going to feel after the second one and the third one, right. and the fourth one. And I think it's going to mimic, you know, alcohol. Of course, you're not going to get the same effects, but you're still going to get a, a body high from it, right? I think it's my understanding that that was kind of the holdup that that beverages would have actually developed a lot quicker or been come to market a lot quicker, except for the fact that early on there was a lot of struggle with trying to figure out the timed release and the effectiveness and how to make the, I don't know the proper scientific terminology, but to to make the 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 THC bind with the right molecules so it was dispersed properly throughout the drink and all this kind of stuff. So there, but it, it's interesting to see it finally, you know, kind of taking off. And I, I do, you know, seeing these companies really go to market with it now. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's the future. I mean, that's why you see companies like Constellations brands, you know, a couple of years ago where I think they put 3 billion into, um, <laughs> Put three billion in investment dollars into to uh, up in Canada. So you're you're seeing this evolution happening, and I think it's going to just it's going to be another wave. Yeah. It's going to take out. Um, it's going to take a lot of your edibles. It's also going to allow for, I think, clubs or cannabis bars because, you know, regulators are going to understand it. They're going to be able to because it's so easy to mimic alcohol. It's like oh yeah. okay, one drink gets me this effect. And of course, that's taking testing and research, which, you know, we've barely gotten to get started with the, uh, with the different yeah. universities out there. They're able, some of them are able to start running tests on that. And so that's where all that comes from. So I think the next 10 years is going to be incredible. Um, I'm excited to, to see it building right now. And I, and I always have been. Um, I had a little bit of a bittersweet when I had, uh, when I had left the industry, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. So now I've got kind of a renewed vigor and I've, you know, started the podcast plant problems, which I talk about, you know, a lot of this in my show. Uh, but I also talk with entrepreneurs that are, uh, that are either in the, in the trenches right now, or they're building uh, some of these 
massive companies that right. are and their CEOs and and they're going through uh, this whole process with there's no playbook. No, I mean, <laughs> I tell people all the time, if you want to get into this industry, you really need to have a passion for the industry because there's a lot of ups and downs and, you, and you've just kind of got to ride those waves uh, to, and withstand it. There's a lot of volatility. And, you know, it even makes me think about like when you were talking about the multi-state operators earlier, you know, there's been so many companies that have taken this this path of of capture market as much market as possible as fast as possible, because it is a race, because I think people do see when federal legalization happens and we can and I guess we'll, we'll kind of head in that direction maybe a little bit here. But when okay. that happens, you know, these gigantic companies like, you know, Marlboro and, and Anheuser-Busch that have been hesitant to get in quite yet they're going to go full board and they've already got everything in place for distribution and manufacturing. And so it is a bit of a race, but you know, I, I've, I just think it's uh, an interesting, an interesting escalation to try and expand. And having seen some of the companies that have been, like you mentioned, at the top of the industry, and some of them are completely out of business. Others have taken big hits because, you know, in my estimation, I feel like some, some, the, and I think all businesses are kind of guilty of this, not just the cannabis industry, but where there's this fascination with let's grow as fast as possible and then let's cash out, let's go public. Let's get on the Canadian stock exchange. And, you know, to be honest, I'd love your opinion as an investor. Like, is the Canadian stock exchange like really the right move or is it better for these companies to wait and just build their brand and build their company stronger and then go for the New York stock exchange when that day comes? Yeah, well, a lot of these companies didn't have an op option. It was like, if we want to bring in investor funds, how are we going to do it? Mm. So they did what was called a reverse merger. And they ended up opening up on the on the CSX, right? Is that yeah, CSX? Yeah. They ended up opening on that, and because it was their only option, I mean, guys like me, we were self-funded, um, and that's why we had so many business partners, right? However, there were uh, there were some gentlemen here in Colorado that were pushing towards outside money because for a long time. Colorado didn't allow any any outside right. investors, so that kept things pretty small in our state, uh, which which was good. It allowed the pioneers to get a foothold, um, and it allowed it allowed some growth, but not like every other company in the world, where or any other company in the U.S. anyway, where you know they're able to borrow, and that's that's still one of the major drawbacks. Yeah of being in cannabis. And there's guys that have figured out ways to uh, do what they call leasebacks. Uh, another company that I love is the uh, IIPR, which is a, they're a leaseback company and they go in and buy the properties and uh, from uh, these dispensary owners and sell them, rent it back to them at a, at a high rate, but it frees up cash flow because they didn't have any. Um, so I think some of the biggest changes we're gonna see is Safe Banking Act. That'll, of course, depending on what's in the act when it finally gets passed, um, if they do a rescheduling of, uh, you know, I've heard some people say that 
Well, I think they're going to reschedule medical marijuana first, and then we'll see rec come up behind it, which if you look at the past and what's happened, that's kind of how we've gotten through in most states. It is, but it's the same, it's the same product. I mean, of course, of course. However, the optics of society looks at it as, okay, well, we can deal with this medical thing. Yeah. You know, we, we understand that that's needed. And then once they see that the sky is not falling and you know <laughs> people aren't jumping out of buildings, they're like, well, and we're getting, to, you know, for yeah. example, we're getting $2 billion in tax revenue. Yeah. I don't see what the big issue is with it. So, of course, statistics come out. Like we have the CDC, which is our road. Um, you know, they take care of all the roads and they have statistics. And they talked about when cannabis was legalized, they were throwing out, well, people are getting pulled over now and they're high. And that was always happening. They're just looking for it now. Right. (laughs) Um, I think that'll be one of the major breakthroughs too that needs to happen is to really figure out what is considered uh, being intoxicated with cannabis because right now they they have uh, some laws in place that are similar to uh, how they measure alcohol just to give... Uh, police a way to gauge it and and I think it was pushed way before the actual uh, research was done they call it a five nanogram in your blood and you got to take your blood and it's this whole process that is uh, I think it's extremely inaccurate I think that needs to be um, addressed especially once it goes nationwide they need to figure that out uh, so testing um, and then you know We've seen a, you know, a very, very nice growth in the state of Colorado because of, of our, our openness to cannabis. I mean, there's a lot of success stories out there. There's also a lot of things that have been taken care of in the school system and also in the general assembly where that cash has come in and helped a ton. Yeah. And I know there's still a small market here of black market or legacy, um, and I know California's battling that. I mean, it's not an easy fight. Um, you guys got 50, 60, 70 years worth of this that is having to be kind of squashed out and, and regulated. And that's an enormous challenge, especially for the size, for the amount of, uh, you know, people in your state and how big it is. So yeah. I, I think the naysayers, they latch onto that. Like there's still a black market. It's like, well, this has been going on for d- decades and decades. How can you expect to wipe it out in six months or a year or two years? Yeah, and the reality is that there's until as long as there are still places in the continental United States that are illegal, there's going to be a demand for a, a, a legacy market, as you call it. Um, you know, and part of that comes down to making it more affordable, the taxes. And that's another thing that I'm a little terrified of is seeing the federal government slap another 5% or so on top of all the sales across the state. I mean, they're going to rake in a ton of money from the cannabis industry. 100%. You know? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, I think the beauty is, is that we haven't, you know, what we're seeing in places like Canada where they've stopped from the nationalizing on the way down. Mexico's doing the same, by the way. They're starting kind of on the way down nationally. So they have their own set of problems. Starting from the root of of this has given us, you know, a, a few steps ahead. 
because we're able to work out some of these, we were able to work out some of these problems. And of course, these more mature states like Colorado and California, they're in the midst of it right now, figuring these out. But once we figure out that balance there, where it's, where it's, you know, eliminating the legacy market and it's also becoming profitable for the sellers. And once it's legalized, the big thing that, you know, I'm sure you guys are aware of is 280E, the tax, yeah. uh, you know, the tax issues that are uh, put on the the backs of all the cannabis owners and where they can't write off, you know, normal business expenses. And so those things will open up a bit of a gap. But I think what, I, what the hardest part sharing that with people is they don't understand that because the media shows how much money is being made. So it's hard for them to delineate. It's, it's, it's impossible. These guys are making all this money. How, why the hell it, it, it's, it's coming in just, it's going out just as fast as it's coming in. Yeah. I started to say the margins, like most of these operators, especially here in California, where we're obviously heavily regulated, heavily taxed, like the margins are so minute, like I know there's not a ton of operators that are actually turning profits. I mean, they're kind of running at slight negatives, but you know, it again, it's, it's building that base. It's trying to play the game and stay alive and jump through all the hoops. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's tough. And I think that is important for people because sometimes like, you know, in my experience, at least, it's also frustrating to see these municipalities when they think about legalism, you know, opening up to the cannabis market, their eyes get real big, like they're just going to make all this money and you're the answer to all their problems. And, and it's like, look, if, if you all had spending and deficit problems before you had cannabis and had that extra tax money, you're still going to have problems with those deficits and, and spending problems because it's, it's an issue of management, not of do you have enough money. Exactly. You know, it's, and another thing as, as I learned as an investor, you know, if everybody knows about it, it's, it's already, the cats are, the cats are already out of the bag. They already know. So then your margins tend to really drop. Right. So I, I, I talk about it in my book, but I think some of the best places to go and look are like the Bible belt areas, um, places where it's, you know, you're, you're a sinner. If you smoke cannabis, <laughs> right? I'm I'm fr- I grew up uh, in in Tennessee, and yeah, you know, it's it's there are markets that I watch, but man, there's there's going to be a lot of stigma and education to be to be to remove and to do there. It's going to be hard, but it's an educational um, instead of competition, right? So That's you, true. So you block. So your barrier of entry is is uh is much lower and most people aren't paying attention to those not at all they're looking at places like california they're looking at places like new york florida because that's what they hear in the news right yeah well once you get to tennessee and say you are in tennessee and you're creating that and then they start talking about tennessee your timing is perfect you're like sweet (laughs) i'm in it right now because then all of a sudden it gets normalized through the community because it starts getting talked around about the news you start getting engaged with your uh, local council and your local government start creating a relationship there. That that was one of the biggest things that I learned. Um, you know, as we were creating regulation, is just show them you're a real person and you're not, you know, this hooded thief that's <laughs> right. you know 
stacking this money away and it's not going to pay taxes. Yeah. You got to present yourself as a business owner. And, you know, I've got a shaved head. For those of you guys listening, I've got a shaved head. Right now, how I look is how I looked when I was running my business. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a pothead. I took it seriously. I, 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 I was a business person and that's how I presented myself. And once they started seeing our faces multiple times, that started to open up, you know, conversations and channels of, okay, these are real business people that are taking this shit seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we should take it seriously too and let's start talking. And then that just started opening up all kinds of different opportunities and doors. So I, I was really fortunate to, to see that firsthand. Yeah. I, t- I tell people all the time, you know, it's if you if you want to work in this industry, it's such a real business. You got to be able to like act, you know, like, you know, what you're doing in a business setting and, you know, ha- have have some knowledge about how 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 to act around people. The the old concept of sitting around rolling pre-rolls in the back and selling them out the front and hey man and stone or this and, you know, yeah. that, those days are kind of gone. I mean, there are still some of those you know, people in, in, in the industry, but, um, it's, it's turned into a real business and you've got to kind of know, know how to navigate that if you want to be successful in it. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, as we move forward and we become, you know, like as I become a a better investor, as I work on that stuff, these are things I think about, okay, well, what are regular now I've got that knowledge. What are these regulators going to think, as I'm investing in some of these newer or uh, interesting areas. I, I spend a lot of my time on the cannabis side because, of course, that's where my knowledge is. But, you know, I, I've gained some exposure in, in different areas. And and really what it comes to investing is you, you've, as in cannabis, I had to be patient and wait my turn, wait my turn, wait my turn. This is even more so. Um, you've got to sit back. You've got to make your decisions as you as you make your choices in whatever investments you're doing, whether it be real estate, cannabis, crypto, whatever it is, these, these might not play out for years. And for those people that are investors out there listening, I, I'm sure you can understand to be a successful investor, it's not an overnight thing. Um, it can take you two, it can take you five, sometimes 10 years there on one deal. What do you mean? We're, we can get rich off a of Dogecoin this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Again, everybody knows, right? So it's like... You missed the boat already. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The For anybody that wants to, if if their goal is to be successful and they want a lot of money, you look at some of the most successful investors like your Warren Buffett's of the world, those guys were all about making their decisions, sticking to it and waiting for years and years, sometimes decades, because they would see the vision. They would see what was happening, but maybe they were too early. Maybe they were five or six or 10 years early, but then when it popped, but to be patient that long, I mean, I've gotten myself, you know, over the last few years, to be able to think five and 10 years, but 20 and 30 years is a different game too. That's a whole different mindset. And so I like to call it patience and persistence. You know, you're patient as hell, but you're also in, you're also taking in new knowledge or new information, deciphering it with the old information, making sure it's still 
the right direction and you're still seeing the the uh, the wave heading that direction but sometimes you got to bob and weave a little bit and, it, and it's tough i think it takes a lot of courage to stick to your decisions for long term because it's so easy to see some sparkly object that's that's drawing your attention that's taking you over there being like oh what about me what about me what about me and <laughs> yeah. it's like but i have everything focused on this right now and i think diversity is a double-edged sword diversity is a good place for people with a lot of money um for people that are, think they're going to get rich um off of being diversified it's not generally the case only because you've got good ones and bad ones right so yeah. you've got multiple you know, say mutual funds you've got 20 of them some are going to do good some are going to do bad Ulti ultimately the growth is going to be you know between that six and ten percent range over historical historical data right so yeah. but in order to really hit some of these big ones you've got to spend a lot of time understanding the companies understanding the teams behind the companies but you also have to focus a majority of your investment on a few companies right because those ones that hit are going to be the ones that are going to be your 10 100x fold that are going to be really launch you into that next one and i think that's that i don't think that's talked about very much in in the investment world there's a lot of people diversify 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 um and i have some diversification but the ones that i feel that have the most chance for success that's where i focus my effort on yeah i mean if you're if you're looking to you know play it safe and protect your nest egg and have a little bit of growth and and or you're already kind of where you want to be being highly diverse is diversified is great but you know, if you're someone that's still trying to, you know, climb, climb in, in life, then like you said, you do kind of have to pick a couple ponies to bet on and, you know, have enough diversification that if, if they fall, you're still not back at zero. You, you've got a little bit of cushion back yeah. here, but you, you know, you're still trying, like you said, you're, you're still in the game at that point. And so um, you, you do kind of have to play it a little differently. And I think it's really easy, even for the folks out there that have a lot of money it's really easy to stay stagnant and just get in this protection right. zone um it's safe i don't want anybody taking my money right. i don't i don't want to spend i don't want to waste any money i it was so much to get this now i'm you know now i've got to uh, you know, I don't want to be worried and anxious and have to be stressed about it. And that's a real deal. I mean, that's a, it's a real place you can be in being like, God, I don't want to start from zero again. And no, I, I don't think there's a few people out there. I hear they're like, oh, fuck. I'll throw it all on bread if I had to, <laughs> if I want to make it big. And that's great and all, but there's still a reality of what, what safety is. I mean, you know, our, our world is so, it's so confusing to figure out what success really means to you. And I think that's a journey on its own um, because my, my views have changed on that a couple different times and just really understanding where I want to be and how to be happy, you know, how to yeah. really be happy. Um, you know, if work is your thing and work makes you happy, I, I, I see that, but there is a lot of, 
there's a lot of life to live. There's also, you know, I feel, I feel very grateful for where I'm at and where, where what I've gone through and to get here where I'm at. But I also have had the realization that, you know, having the biggest house or the fanciest cars and that stuff doesn't mean anything to me. It's, it's nice, but the reality is, you know, what really, what really makes me excited is meeting a, a new entrepreneur or cannabis guy that, um, you know, has had these troubles and it's like, okay, dude, I'm telling you where, this is where you're at right now. I see your future and you're on the right path and they get excited and you get to talk yeah. to them and they go, oh man, but really bringing those people up. I think is extreme. I mean, I'm getting the chills just thinking about it right now because <laughs> when you get to bring somebody into, you know, a different sphere and, and, and a different level and watch how it changes their lives. Cause I know how it's changed my life and understanding that there's their, where they've been and where they are at now and how they're scared and being like, all right, buddy, you know, we've, we're, we're almost there. You, you know, give yourself, just keep being patient. You're working your way through. It's happening. Just keep hammering it out, being persistent, right? So, you know, I like the, I like the two words, persistence. You know, being, being patient and persistent is, is a, that's, that's the key right there because what it's going to happen is you're going to encounter as an entrepreneur, you're going to encounter these times when, you've got to come up with a massive amount of money and you're just like, yeah. how am I going to do that? How am I going to pull this off? I've got rents to pay. I've got labor that is every two weeks. I've got to come up with a hundred thousand dollars, like, you know, seven days. <laughs> and those points in your life, when you're in your business life are going to define your success. Like, can I do this? And I've seen it where we've had to pull that off. I've also seen other people where they're like, I don't know where he came up with 50 grand, but he did it, <laughs> you know? And you're just like, those, those are the entrepreneurial tools you really need to get that next level, just to get to that next edge. And it's really sad because that's where a lot of people fail. It's right on that. They're right on the cusp, right? Because once you're able to do that, you're like, oh, I could pull that off again. That's not a big deal. Yeah. I don't know how. We'll just put it all together and put our minds together and figure it out. And that might be pretty outlandish for those of your listeners out there that are right now. But I, you know, I encourage them that once they hit these barriers that they come to in their business journey, that they press over those or they go around them. Because usually if you're able to get around those, that's where success lies. That's where yeah. that, oh my gosh. Okay, now that's got two extra steps we've got ahead of where we were last week. And now we can see some light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Yeah, it's amazing the progress you can actually make once you break through a barrier until you hit the next barrier. <laughs> <laughs> until you hit the next barrier, exactly. Because there's always going to be a next barrier. And I think that's the other thing people sometimes forget is that you know, it's not like there's a, an end destination, like the challenges are in business and pro in, in life in general, probably as it's well. Ongoing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's ongoing forever. It, it's always something new.
Yeah. Yeah, and and just ex- accepting that that the bob and weave is normal, um, and also accepting the fact that it's going to take longer than you thought. It always does. Yeah. It always takes longer than you think, and it usually takes twice as much money. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a good rule of thumb. <laughs> so you t- you mentioned uh, you mentioned crypto, or, or is that something that you're kind of looking at, looking at? Only recently, only recently, because uh, you know, as an investor, you you've got money sitting in an account that's really not in the in the centralized you know, world, it's not really earning you any money. Um, But yeah, I I don't, I don't know enough to really have an intellectual conversation about it. But I'm in the midst of, you know, being a sponge right now. I've got a little exposure um, because that's generally how you get rid of the fear is have a little exposure. Um, And I'm, I'm understanding that I'm getting more familiar with you know, how smart contracts work. And along with, you know, blockchain is, is still, there's still a lot to dissect to really understand it. The math behind it, I'll probably never understand, but. Yeah. I have no expectation of having that kind of understanding. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But also understanding society and what they see coming. And so I, I've been able to get a little bit of experience in that over the last, it's only been in the last few months. It yeah. hasn't been a lot. Um, I've Again, I spend most of my focus watching, uh, watching the cannabis companies and what they're doing. Um, and it's fun. And I, and I, and I don't want to get distracted. Uh, however, a currency is kind of, I mean, that's a big deal. Um, you know, it, 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 it runs things. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's interesting when you start throwing, you know, the currency, um, NFTs, tokens, when you start getting down that, going down that, it's quite the rabbit hole, that's for yeah. sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's something I, you know, ignored for the longest time, but after watching the, the developments over the last year and mm-hmm. especially right now with the, the, the legal battle that Ripple um, is kind of in the middle of with the SEC, like mm-hmm. I, I just see some, you know, and I'm, I'm learning about it as well. Like I've only, you know, recently kind of started to pick it up because for the longest time, I wasn't sure it was going to gain, uh, you know, get to the point where it could potentially really overtake uh, normal currencies. But um, I'm starting to to be to see to see the potential there, you know, in it. Yeah, I really noticed going through COVID, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. That, you know, I used to carry cash. I mean, I was in a cash business. I used to carry at least a couple hundred bucks around with me in cash, and now it sits in my wallet for months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because everything's either online, um, uh, you know, or, you know, it's done on with a credit card because people don't want to, because of the germs that, uh, they come with <laughs> cash. They don't want to take cash. So it's like, well, what, what good is cash anymore? Which I never thought I would say that, but, um, I'll always start, take cash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and then you see, you know, the, when you look at the global economy, that's what I love about podcasting, by the way, is us as podcasters, the, it's so much fun that you and I can have this discussion and somebody over in the Philippines can be listening yeah. to our 
podcast and being like, well, what's all this cannabis stuff about? You know, that's that's what I'm talking about. Entrepreneurship, like how far of a reach we, we have a global reach yeah. in the palm of our hands. I mean, really, you guys were setting up the show. You guys have a significant investment in your equipment. But really, do, do I mean, if you looked at what it took to put together a radio show back 10, 15 years ago. Forget about or a it. TV show, yeah. you know, I mean, we're doing it right here, which it, it, it blows my mind and it makes me excited that, you know, I, I love this. this I love podcasting. I enjoy it the heck out of doing <laughs> guys like you and just having these conversations that would be, would never have happened. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, is they, they would have never happened. Yeah. Um, Technology's changed everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's really easy too to pull yourself back and say, I don't want to learn anything new. This is what I'm comfortable with. And this growth of into the internet as we see it evolve going from a no computers to being almost where we're heading towards a VR <laughs> world is it's mind blowing to me because we're seeing that transition. Now people that are growing up in it, they just think that that's normal. Yeah. And yeah. we actually have that perspective on what life used to be yeah. when we were teenagers. Right. I mean, there were some video games for sure, but most of our friends that had them, you know, the Nintendo, Sega Genesis, not everybody had them, but now everybody has them on their phone. Everybody has them wherever they go. Yeah. And they're living in this, this virtual world. And so seeing, tying it back to cryptocurrency, it's like, well, how could it not be revolutionary? I mean, I was listening to some guys. They said, this is like, you know, internet 3.0. This is a... Yeah. This is a game. I mean, I look at smart truck, smart contracts are so interesting because of how many, how much bullshit they eliminate. Can you, do you, do you understand a smart contract enough to like kind of, because uh, I, 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 that's still something I haven't gotten into. Well, I, I, I can talk a little bit about it, but the, the general idea of, of how I see it unfolding is that, you know, they're programmed into the, I mean, basically um, your things like Airbnb, that's all a smart contract. That's all because we have interactions with, we have, are you familiar with Airbnb platform? Yeah, yeah. Like, do you understand how, um, I, I, I'm, I'm me and my uh, partner manage a couple. So, but basically those are controlled by a smart contract. Interesting. They, the interaction between you and the, you and the client, that's all delegated through the, it's not delegated through the system. It's delegated through this contract, right? Now the payments, all that stuff is automatically happened. They can't really hold anything behind. I know Airbnb, that, that, that's, that's the general idea. Now what will really become amazing is that in the future, what we're looking at is you and I can create that with our, on our own. So we wouldn't need an Airbnb. Okay. We could create this contract that allowed people to reach out to me, whether through my website, whatever, whatever it may be, whether my app or however it is. And we could program that so that on, and so it's connected on the blockchain. So once we give it up, it's called a protocol. Yeah. Right. So these protocols are put into this smart contract and they delegate what happens. So, um, so for instance, 
I rent my place out. Um, the customer pays it in. That connection is made there along with the reviews. That's the same thing. The reviewing back and forth, which is becoming like a social currency is what we're starting to see, especially on those type of platforms. But essentially, smart contracts from a 30,000 foot view, they will cut out all the middlemen. They'll cut out your attorneys. They'll cut out courts. They'll cut out all these things that clog up our system mm. and are, cre- are basically contracts which are up to the interpretation. There's going to be no interpretation anymore. It's going to be black and white. That's which interesting. The transparency that that's going to provide. And, you know, for you guys that really know smart contracts out there, I'm not perfect on that, but that's the general idea. I'm, I'm, I'm getting deeper into it, but that's the general idea on how these things work. And the, uh, you know, the, the name smart contracts, it's not really, it's not the greatest Accurate. name. It's just something that's yeah. been kind of uh, adopted over the last five, 10 years. Because um, I, I guess it originated back in the 90s and, and has just evolved since, like everything else, right? Yeah. Was there, is there um, any other, any, any advice, any other advice you would, you want to share with, uh, with uh, anybody that's, uh, you know, starting their journey or thinking about it, but they're a little hesitant or maybe they've, you know, hit that wall and just need that extra bit of motivation? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do again, my shameless, I'm going to do a shameless plug about my book. I was going to do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So from black market to the man, 10 steps to becoming a multimillionaire in the legal cannabis industry. I actually had the forward written by Vicente Fox, uh, which is the former president of Mexico. He was Mexico in the um, late nineties, early two thousands. So that is really the delegation of, I have an idea. I want to get in cannabis. How do I start? This is a great starting point. Um, it gets you into it. It gets you thinking it. It makes you, you know, question where you're at, what you need to be looking for, you know, what, what possibly avenue in cannabis you should take. You know, I've got stuff about risk tolerance. We talked about that a lot yeah. in the beginning, right? That's a major one in this. That's a huge one. Um, I talk about uh, business types. So I go through several different businesses, uh, professional advice. We talked about that with my attorney. These are things that uh, people know more than you. You can't do it all. You really can't. You want to know about taxes. I mean, that is the number one thing at the end of the day. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. That is true. You know, finances, I, if you, it makes you look at your own personal situation, be like, where am I at? These things are going to be on your mind and they're going to weigh on you and they're going to make you make either the right decision or the wrong decision. How do you choose that? Right. Also walks you through some uh, planning um, and then I talk about partners, some similar to what we talked about in here. So there's a lot of stuff in that book right there. I've got it. You can go to my, uh, my, my website at plantproblem.com. That's plantproblem.com. Just leave the S off. Uh, but you can connect there. It'll take you. You can buy a book. It also has everything about me. Um, and it's got, I've got my podcast there. I've got close to 90 episodes. I'm, I'm, 
recording another i've got another 15 to 20 that i'm recording right now so that's coming through and also take some opportunities to look at some of the events that are out there events are great network yeah events are great i mean i've learned a lot i've met from met a lot of people at events um there's also there's a ton of stuff online right now but I would suggest going to check out like an MJ BizCon, which is the biggest one out there right now. That'll that'll really open your eyes. If you've never been to one, uh, they do one in <laughs> Vegas in October. Yeah. And that one, we're actually going to have a booth there. I, I've got some, another product that uh, I developed with some guys that uh, we created another podcast on. Uh, but that out there is like, 30, 40,000 people will attend to this thing. Yeah. It's massive. You'll, you'll really, you'll really <laughs> open your eyes like, wow, this is, uh, this is intense. Um, you know, it's grown up over the last 10 years. They've been uh, doing these in Vegas for 10 years, but that's a solid one I check out. But there's dozens of them. There's probably one in your state. Um, probably, you know, generally every, every spring, everybody seems to be getting back to uh, doing some. Uh, face-to-face stuff so but if you're not comfortable a lot of these are doing virtual so you can follow up on virtual uh but there is so much available you just you just got to jump in yeah you know that's kind of that's kind of it it's like um i gave you guys a lot of stuff to go on but again there is still a ton of opportunity i encourage your listeners to if they're on the fence they need to fall off the fence on the other side and get going because the times the window's getting much less here each six months we go by. What do you, what do you think um, before, before we let you, let you go? I know we're kind of push, getting close to your time, but um, what are your thoughts on, or, or are you following it all, you know, being, having been in cannabis and, and following cannabis so closely um, what are your thoughts on like psychedelics as far as that that opening up is as a potential, you know, medicinal the way cannabis was or even eventually recreational? Huge, huge opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually had talked to a therapist that was a ketamine and a psilocybin therapist back in 2016, 17, because I was like, this is I'm seeing very there there's parallels to cannabis that i see uh psilocybin being um right in line with so if you are on that journey i think i think it's an amazing one i didn't end up uh taking too much uh stock in it because i had some other things that had changed my direction however i think it's incredible i think uh the the world of natural medications is upon us. Yes. Um, you know, the self-medication of uh, Pfizer and pharmaceuticals out there, that people are seeing the damage it's caused in their lives firsthand. And I kind of think people are like, what fucking could be worse? I mean, at least this is a natural thing. And yeah. Yes, of course, people yeah. take can take in excess, but a lot of the the studies and that are being performed right now are all microdose. They're small amounts. They're they're changing people's lives. They're taking uh, veterans that you know have thought about 
committing suicide or maybe attempted and they're changing their help rewiring their brain yeah um and giving them a different perspective i mean i didn't take mushrooms a lot as a kid but i I have had them in the past and you gain a different perspective no matter how you look at it and i think if we as a society were interested in really growing who we are and understanding other people i think we would you know really look into seeing what other perspectives are and really understanding coming from looking through somebody else's eyes and where they're coming from. And I, I, you know, I just think about the things that like California is doing for uh, some of the inmates that have been incarcerated for cannabis. And we're starting to see states come out and understand that um, these were very, these, these rules and these, these things that happen to these people destroyed their lives and yeah. we need to make this right. And, and I, the societal shift is really cool um, because that's a real one. I mean, it's, even if you want to get into the industry, I had some, there was some scariness that was happening there because I had some, uh, some issues with law enforcement that I thought were going to come up. Right. And of course being white, you know, people would say, well, you're white. you, you didn't have to deal with it and, and, and they're right. Uh, however, I had to dig and fight and grab for everything that I got at the end of the day. And if these, if people that, especially minorities are wanting to get involved in cannabis, it's not going to be an easy road. Yeah. Um, you're going to be fighting every, 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 every stretch of the way. And so, but it's positive, you know, don't look at that as a negative. You're, if you're in the game, you're in the game. That's right? it. <laughs> it's, that's, that's part of it. Right. Um, so yeah, man, I, I, I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Um, thank you for coming on, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been fun. I, I, I enjoy talking about, you know, the future and what's happening and investing. I mean, investing is it's, it's so much fun and, there's so much more to learn. You're always learning. Yeah. Appreciate it. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, this has been a, a great conversation. I've, I've really, you know, appreciated your perspective and sharing it with us and your experiences. And I, I think there's a lot people can, can get out of your words, uh, for beneficial to benefit, you know? Yeah, I hope so guys. I mean, it, it's no matter what business you're doing, it's going to be hard. Um, and if you want to see success from it, you've got to be patient. You've got to hang in there because it's a long road. Anytime you see just, you know, word of caution, anytime you see a fast buck, just look the other way because you might make money on the front end, but a lot of the times you lose it on the back end. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Very good advice. <laughs> well, thanks again for, for being here. Um, yeah, no problem. I think that'll, that'll wrap us up for today. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been episode number 45 of the Evolved Idiots podcast. As always, peace and love. Thank you so much. Power to the people. Thanks, guys.